Please stand and join me for the reading of the gospel. Now when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. From Matthew 25. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. This is the gospel of grace. I should begin by confessing that this is the first time I've ever preached a sermon. And, uh, and so y'all get to uh, enjoy that with me or whatever, however it is you wish to respond to that experience. I hope it's enjoyable. If not, you know, I don't ever have to do it again. You can, you know. <laughs> so don't write any angry letters, okay? <laughs> um, it's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to be asked to speak, so thank you so much, Charland, and, and all of you who have been such a wonderful, welcoming, and hospitable community for my family and I these last four years, and I'm excited to be able to share with you some of the things that I have been thinking about, writing about, and researching. Um, this, this sermon, I'm giving you a preamble to the sermon. I mean, this is so academic, right? It's like the foreword. Um, uh, this sermon comes out of the research that I was doing for uh, what's become my first book, and is, it, 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 I mean, that, was, that book is focusing on music, and surprise, surprise, I'm not going to preach about music today, but I am going to preach about the convictions and the, the undertones of all of that resource, research, the theology that drives me to do work as an academic. So I'm going to share that with you guys today. Now to the actual sermon. <clears throat> I was probably 24 or 25 years old before it ever occurred to me that this passage from Matthew 22 that I read is kind of the molten center of the Bible. It's the core of the Bible's wisdom, if you will. I was was in the basement of a church in Wilmer, Minnesota, which is where the ministry that Leslie and I had worked for, I, we weren't working there together at the time, but we, had, uh, we were a part of the training community there for different music missions teams, and we, the organization used these different churches as training centers because the building that the, that the company had was quite small. And it was in the basement of one of these, these churches, and processing through some of the existential dread I'm sure I was experiencing and, uh, you know, or trying to recover from some sort of trauma, as was my, my habit in my early 20s. And um, I hope, I mean, that's kind of a joke, but I hope that those of you who can remember the early 20s had some similar experiences. <laughs> but a friend of mine named Elliot, oh, I was talking with Elliot about this, and we were talking about, well, you know, what is the center of the gospel? What is, what's this gospel thing about? Because we had the seminar at the, at the organization that was called The Essence of the Gospel. And we would kind of rotate through teaching it and say, well, what, you know, what, does, 
what are we really doing here as a Christian organization? Like, because this wasn't a, this was sort of evangelical, but it wasn't a, you know, an old missionizing kind of organization. It was very much what we would say intersectional ministry, where you have a bunch of different ideas and a bunch of different people with different convictions who are gathering together to do something that they think is important, not unlike Lakeshore. And so we were having a conversation about what it meant to be, uh, to be a gospel group. And, and Elliot said, well, it, you know, the whole point of this is loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. This is what this whole thing is about. And it, you know, it never occurred to me. I'd grown up going to church. I had been involved in youth group and ministry and all these other sorts of things. And here I'm 24, 25 years old, and it never occurred to me that that's what we were doing. Kind of an odd time to realize it, I suppose. So if you fast forward a few years, I was, uh, I was in seminary. I was in Fuller, at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. And I was taking a shower. I do most of my best work in the shower, so I'll let you kind of infer what you want about this sermon. <clears throat> but I was thinking through this, and I was still pondering it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a slow processor from time to time. And I was still thinking through this central theme of being a Christian. And, I, and this, it, it dawned on me. I'm like, okay, well, wait a second. How do you love God? How do you love God? I mean, like, do you buy God flowers? Do you take her out for dinner? Maybe, maybe God's really into precious moments figurines. I hear that's, that's a really big thing. <laughs> that was a joke. <clears throat> I think that, well, the other option that, and this is the one that I think I grew up internalizing, is that we love God by having these warm feelings, having our hearts strangely warmed, or by feeling some sort of internal sensation or some sort of emotional connection to God or to some, some abstract idea about who God might be or what God is. But this, this really, I started questioning this. This doesn't work for me sometimes. I'm like, well, okay, so I feel good about God, but what's God? If I feel good about God, then I have to have some sort of construction about who God is in my mind. Like I can, I can think about, I love my wife. I love my kids because I have these tangible objects that I can interact with and I can call to mind and say, oh yeah, that's what my wife looks like. This is what Leslie does. This is who Leslie is and that's, I love Leslie or I love Ford or I love Hasley. These are easier statements because I know what it means to love these people or I try to know. I have an idea. It seems within my grasp to know these things. But God is a different animal altogether. Or maybe not. But it seems like it. It seemed to me at this time. Another passage of Scripture tells us that we are supposed to serve God, that our service to God is equated with our love. And this seems to make a little more sense, at least it did for a while. So we love God through serving God. But then, and this is also a part of this shower in Pasadena, how do you serve God? Does God have needs? I think about, you know, if I'm going to serve my wife or my kids, I mean, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make them, make them suffer. I'm going to make the bed. I'm going to, I'm going to buy flowers or something along those lines. There's, there are these tangible things that I can point to that say, this is how I love my family. And then if I, but if I think about God, it doesn't, I mean, what, what are God's needs? Like, how do, you, how do you feed an abstract concept or how do you give an ethereal being a hug if we think about service, we can think about food or shelter. And I want to say that I, I'm not going to, for those of you who may or may not be Old Testament scholars in the room, <clears throat> cough, cough. 
uh, that I'm not going to advocate for some sort of return to the sacrificial system, that this, you know, the service of God is bringing animals to be slaughtered. That's, we're going to rule that out right now. <clears throat> what need of God's can I meet? To keep you know, the analogy of the child and parent, this is how I grew up understanding it, that God is a parent and we are children. And what God as a parent requires of us for love, for lack of a better term, is that God needs our love. So I serve God when I love God. But that brings me right back to where I started. How do you love God? Do we see that? I mean, I hope, that, I hope I'm not too esoteric in this conundrum because this is, this is what I wrestle with. So, so if I'm all alone, I'm just going to be alone up here and, you know, we'll, we'll hang out with there. Or maybe, maybe the second half of Matthew 22 was the key part. Maybe it's that the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Is it possible that we love God by loving our neighbor? That, that, could, that could work. Or... Maybe even more than that, what you do to the least of these you've done to me. Maybe, maybe Matthew 22 can get read in light of Matthew 25. That if the whole core, the hot molten center of being a Christian is to love God and love your neighbor through service and care and all these other things, and that what you do to the least of these you do to God, well, that would make sense. That, that gives me something tangible that I can latch onto and, and build a faith around, at least to me. But then again, this presents a new set of dilemmas, doesn't it? Because if the rest of the Bible, the Law and the Prophets, is all about loving and caring for others, there are some conflicting reports about how to do that within the Bible. On the one hand, we have kind of what's been loosely referred to as the prophetic tradition, the justice tradition. You have the prophets who are raging against injustice and pronouncing judgment on those who are wrongdoers. On the other hand, we have uh, the relational tradition. Maybe the Psalms or the Proverbs or some of the wisdom literature, such as it's been called, that prescribe ways of being with others and doing good things with other people, having relationships. I mean, you might say, well, Nate, that's easy. These kinds of ways of being relational are to circumvent injustice and kind of prevent the prophetic tradition from, from being necessary. But that's not the world we live in, is it? So in, our, in real life, it gets much tougher. For instance, let me tell you another story. This one involves you. A few years ago, we had our compassionate conversations, and we, we as a church decided that we were going to adopt a welcoming and affirming statement for all people, regardless of sexual orientation or political identity or whatever else. But there was a conflict in the middle of this, I think we all remember. And the way I remember the conflict and the way I think about it is kind of this conflict between care or relationships and justice. Because on the one hand, the vast majority of us agreed that all people should be welcome and affirmed here. This was, this was a just action for many of us. We saw this as moving towards justice, towards reconciliation, towards doing something good in the world. On the other hand, there were several and maybe even many of us who maybe didn't agree with that read or that understanding of justice. Those people may or may not have been here for, I don't know, 50 years since the beginning of the church. That's a lot of relationship that is being compromised or perhaps being questioned or called to account in the midst of a pursuit of justice.
And this is my reading of the situation. I'm telling you our story from my perspective. I'm claiming myself in this story, even though it long predates me and it will continue after I'm gone. But there's, this is the dilemma. I'm, I'm coming back to the dilemma, and I keep wrapping my, my, trying to wrap my mind around it. And if you're with me so far, I'm going to move on, because I don't know if I can spin it any other way. But here's what I want to, here's what I want to say about that. I don't, I don't know if we can have relationships without justice or justice without relationships. It seems to me that relationships are, this is academic speak, but relationships are ontological for human beings, that this is a fundamental reality for being a person. There are a number of feminist ethicists and scholars who have made these arguments much more eloquently than myself, so I'm just going to point at them and say you should really read these women. So while relationships are ontological, good relationships are not. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> relationships are maybe only good when they're just. But justice does not exist when the integrity of relationships are violated. You see, friends, it's really easy to fall into one or the other trap. We start thinking that justice can be had without relationships, or that we can have relationships at expense of doing good in the world. At least I do. Maybe I'm alone. Sometimes my commitments to justice can make me lose sight of the real people around me. And sometimes my commitments to my relationships, my friends, my family, uh, can make me, I lost my notes, lose sight of their injustice, especially when a, we might be in an unequal power relationship. It's easy for me to lose sight of the relational aspects of my, my kids and I because I'm their father. I want to train them and teach them how to do things right, how to be good in the world. But sometimes I do that at the expense of my relationship with them. There's got to be a better way, at least as a parent, I think. I think this conflict still describes what's happening at Lakeshore. I think we all feel that, and maybe I'm wrong. But I think there's deep distrust among us because some of us fear that we are being numbered with the transgressors. And some of us fear that there is no place for us here or that we're losing our place. Some of us are experiencing both. But I do believe that choosing one over the other, that is relationship over justice or vice versa, will ultimately lead to failure. Sometimes we don't necessarily get a full say in the matter of relationships because Turns out there are other people involved, thank God, and they get to make their own choices. And we can't control that. But maybe, just maybe, where's Buddy Powell? That, uh, that ancient, ambiguous, and diverse book of wisdom that we call the Bible may yet yield insights. Maybe that was the point all along. Maybe that whole loving others part goes even deeper. If we acknowledge that others are involved in this whole relational enterprise, then that should lead us to humility. I mean, if we know what love is because God loved us, and we know that what we do to the least of these, which may or may not be us from time to time, we do to God, then could it be that we know love because others have loved us? Maybe that leads us to grace for both others and for ourselves. That sounds like a good way to do just relationships to me.